like movies about gladiators. Those men wanted to have sex with me. Great Scott. Nice Bieber. Cinderella boy. Rambo is a pussy. Come with me if you want to live. Hello, and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee. I'm George McGee. And this time, it's time for something a little bit different. After the excesses of Christmas, it's the bank holiday time. It's time for bank holiday films. For sitting on the sofa and watching, you know, some great guilty pleasures. And so we thought, given it was the year of his passing, and because it's exactly the same sort of film that you would watch around this time of year or any other bank holiday, whether it's Easter, we're going to be doing A View to a Kill. Starring Roger Moore, directed by John Glenn. And what are we going to do, George? What, what can people look forward to? The usual? Well, yeah, we're, we're going to do a little bit of background. The, the Bond legacy saga, whatever you want to call it, is uh, such a behemoth. Try and not waffle on for too long on the production chat side of things. And then I think we're just going to delve into the fun of the film itself uh, for all its good and bad bits. Even if you haven't listened to our Roger Moore special uh, that we did earlier in the year, we have a lot of love for the guy. We're obviously massive Bond fans. We've watched these films a lot, and that's why if we skip and go backwards and forwards a little bit, we do apologise, but we have a lot of love for this film. But even he admitted that he felt like he was 400 years too old for this role, but with hilarious consequences for us, the audience. Mm -hmm. So yeah, we'll, um, we'll skip through the film, having a great time, laughing along with Christopher Walken, Got some coulda, woulda, shoulda. Yeah, coulda, woulda, shoulda. And then we'll probably uh, do some tie-ins about uh, fond memories and New Year resolutions, who knows? But before we go any further, here's a general word on housekeeping. Hello, welcome to housekeeping. I'm Roger Moore. Now be warned, these guys, they're not professionals, but they do love a good film or two. There will be very bad impressions, very coarse language, and of course, the odd spoiler or two. But sit back, open some lovely vermouth, and enjoy. So, uh, George, what are we uh, recording on? I hope it involves some form of microchip. <laughs> well, microchip and being a Bond film, lots of Sony product placements. So I've got my Walkman, yeah. got my boombox, it's all, it's all set up and it's protected by microchips, so I think we'll be alright. Excellent, okay, well, on with the show. On with the show. With Tanya Roberts, Grace Jones, wow. and Christopher Walken. <laughs> Has James Bond finally met his match? Find out this summer in A View to a Kill. Title song performed by Duran Duran. So, George, the 14th Bond film featuring our much loved Sir Roger Moore, a John Glenn special. And even Christopher Walken. Yes, well, it's the first Oscar winner to appear in a Bond film. So that's a little bit of trivia for you. He'd won an Oscar for The Deer Hunter. That's and we, we normally do give a warning about um, bad impressions. But George and I are famous for our terrible uh, impressions of Christopher Walken. But 
I mean, we're going to put a warning out, but we just don't know when they're going to pop up. They will be unannounced. They yeah. will be terrible, um, but hopefully they will be fairly brief. So you were saying as a like a 15 second skip feature on most podcast players. So yeah, just that skip might ahead. Be, that might be the time if you're really finding them offensive. We're, we're going to limit them to a certain degree. Yeah, we'll try and squeeze them down. So skip 15 seconds and hopefully you won't miss too much. Or just sit back and enjoy. Yeah. So George, a view to a kill, a title that makes perfect sense. Well, How did we get here? How did we get here? So it is the 14th Bond film, am I correct? Correct. So the 14th Bond film, um, 1985, and it's directed by John Glenn. John Glenn is responsible for directing uh, all the 80s Bond films. So from For Your Eyes Only in 1981, all the way to our favourite uh, Timothy Dalton, um, bowing out in Licence to Kill in 1989. So he had always been part of the, the Bond sort of production family for quite some time. Started off working with them as an editor on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Did some uh, second unit directing on Honor Majesty's The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker. So I said, I don't want to go into it too much, but the Bond family is, um, so it's headed up it was headed up originally by uh, Cubby Broccoli and Harry Saltzman. As a partnership, uh, Harry Saltzman ended up uh, having to sell off his, his part of the company, but Cubby Broccoli sort of, uh, continued on, I think, from Spy Who Loved Me, just doing it himself. He's a very much a... He did treat it a bit like a family, so people would work on, would keep returning to work on the films, all the crew and stuff, the editors and directors, and it was a very, I think, a very sort of welcoming atmosphere. People were looked after, and they it were... It shows. I, I mean, there's no other franchise that's come close to make so many films. Well, it's still running, yeah. That's still going. It won't, it cannot be killed. And effectively, it still is a, a family business, so it's currently still run um, by... Barbara Broccoli, Cubby's daughter, and Michael G. Wilson, who is his stepson, and is this is the first time that he has an active producing role in the film. So he'd been some executive producers, and he'd there's an ongoing trend. Uh, Michael G. Wilson he pops role. up. He has he has a cameo, <laughs> I think, in every film from I think The Spy Who Loved Me onwards, and he also got involved in the screenwriting uh, of the films as well. So. I think it was quite, this is quite a big step because this is the first time he is actively credited as a, a regular producer alongside Cubby. And then that was sort of the start of the changeover because Cubby was getting quite old and he ended up passing it on to to Barbara and Michael. I say it's quite a, a family affair type thing. John Glenn has a certain style. I think you can sort of see from those films from Fury Eyes Only to License to Kill and slowly going towards a harder edge. And I think that's something that Roger was conscious that he wasn't getting any younger. Um, <laughs> and the films were having to change, I suppose, to, against to audience demands. Obviously, the 80s action films were, were, were coming out of nowhere and it was harder to compete with them. So The action he, hero, as it were. It was, it was, and the, it was the one-man army thing. And, it was the Rambo, it was Die Hard, it was Commando. This guy taking on entire armies rather yeah, than... Yeah, and on-screen violence was becoming more acceptable. And even uh, Roger said he it's his least favourite film because of there's there's so much unnecessary violence so many fight scenes that he had to watch from the wings somebody else <laughs> his, his stuntman carrying out oh. 
And in terms of the background for the story, Bond films are always famous for trying to tap into current trends. And sometimes they might slightly miss the boat and try and say, well, you know, what's the what's a leading topic in terms of what could be used as a weapon or... What's hot right now? What's hot right now. So in this one, you've got microchips. And as you said... Everything has. Everything has a bloody yeah. microchip in it. It like, opens up the... Even the... There's a scene involving opening a fridge which has test tubes in it and the cover comes back and it's like all the noises of beep, beep, beep. Mm. Everything's got a microchip in it. They are the future of 1985. Yeah. Uh, microchips of the future. And the idea actually come from Michael G. Wilson who was doing the research and that was... Yeah, the, the sort of... The business boom at that time was all about microchips. He's like, yeah, why don't we do something about that? They're going to um, take over the world. Take over the world. If you know your Bond films well, it's pretty much a thinly sketched rewrite of Goldfinger yep. in terms of the main sort of plot points of a, an industrialist trying to corner the market and eliminate the competition. Operation Grand Slam, reduced, oh. uh, sorry, replaced by Operation Main Strike. <laughs> Since this is the heartland of electronic production in the United States, which accounts for what, 80%? of the world microchip market, I propose to end the domination of Silicon Valley, for which each of you will pay me $100 million. In terms of why I was quite keen to cover this, and obviously yeah, you, we talked about, obviously we lost Roger earlier this year, but for me, it was my the first Bond film I ever saw. Yeah. I remember rushing back from school because it had been recorded on ITV the night before and it was on too late for me. But yeah, rushing back. And I think it was probably on a Sunday. I didn't see this at the cinema either. This was this was a bank holiday special. Mm. And the weird thing is is that they mix up the Bond order. I mean, I, I, they don't do them in order. So sometimes you're, you're jumping around with uh, Bond films on a bank holiday on Easter or what have you. But I definitely saw this because, as you quickly mentioned, why I think I have so much love for uh, The Living Daylights is that was my... That was the first Bond film I saw in the cinema. So obviously it resonates in a different way. And if we're part of a few discussion groups on Bond, yes, that is how geeky we get about it. And it's, it is a discussion that comes up a lot. And it seems to be, it's it's all about how old you, you were when you were yeah. into Bond. That normally kind of dictates who your favourite Bond is. Like we all agree Sean, uh, Sean Connery was the man, but everyone has like a, you know, a, another favourite. And it, it's always linked to when you got into them. So it's a big factor. Yeah, and... And I suppose youth and, and innocence uh, puts a sort of filter over. We were and totally unaware of how old he was. Yeah, and it's, <laughs> you just see it as, you know, a really exciting action film. It's like, not the, why is that really old man scaring that very young, sexy lady? <laughs> but I'm sure we'll um, we'll get onto that in a bit. But yeah, that as you say, it's interesting with the Bond films, that as you grow up, growing up with him in the 80s, you did completely hop about and you were at mercy. And it's... Um, it's another thing we, we talked about in our Roger Moore special on Mark O'Connell's book, uh, Catching Bullets, and that's very much a great snapshot of somebody discovering the films completely out of kilter and like, wait, there's another guy? <laughs> yeah. And then there's another guy that plays him as well? Whilst this film is probably at the bottom of a lot of people's Bond lists, it has definitely has an affectionate place in my heart because it was, you know, my, my first time with Bond, my Bond virginity. Yeah. And, and also Christopher Walken is and, the bad guy. And you've got an amazing bad guy, and you've just got the amazing and blatant use of some uh, very brave stunt people. 
Yeah. This, this <laughs> so should we should we get cracking into it? Let's let's dive, take a dive into the film, or let's let's jump off a mountain into that first scene. We're in Siberia. Yeah, I, I see Siberia. Rogers on a mission. He's doing a bit of sleuthing. He's doing a bit of spying. I always forget about that bit because yeah. I'm like, come on, come on. There's going to be a chase. There's going to be a chase. But he actually finds a dead body. Well, it's it's another double O agent, and I'm pretty sure in all of the John Glenn Bond films, there's a dead double O at the at the start of them. It's how it gets kicked off. Yeah, it's normally double O six or double O three. One of the yeah, one of the random numbers you never meet. You just see his corpse. Yeah, or you're quickly introduced to him, and then he's dead quickly. Yeah, it's only in uh, yeah, well. There's only a few times when it, when they're anything more. Well, Trevelyan, no, well that's it. I mean, yeah, Goldfinger made it, uh, one of the brilliant hooks of Goldfinger was you actually seeing another double O agent up against Bond. And mm-hmm. I suppose Skyfall did as, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's sort of like a bit of a, a John Gold, Glenn. Golden Eye, you mean? Sorry, did I say Goldfinger? Yeah, oh, obsessed. Okay. It's your favourite film, you're obsessed. Gold, Goldfinger. A bit of a, a John Glenn trope, the, the dying double O agent that's not really named. So uh, it's 985, George. We're in the mountains. What's hot? right now snowboarding and just to prove how much because i mean this was they were riding the snow wave but i mean this was literally this was the cusp but you could argue that this had a big influence on snowboarding yeah i mean uh, obviously if you think there was no youtube there was no extreme sports channels this was sort of the first popular culture entry for for snowboarding and it was actually the stunt was performed by the guy who invented it that 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 seals it for me this this you discovered snowboarding because of roger moore roger moore single-handedly invented (laughs) snowboarding and if you want to sort of move some words around yeah but it's a great scene you know he's it's it's a very obvious stuntman aside and obvious rear back projection of Roger just stood there in the studio looking yeah. a bit stressed. It is a really good action scene. You've got, you know, some great moments of Bond taking out the like the snowmobile and the other guys and stuff like Using that. Using little tricks. Yeah. yeah and uh, obviously Bond is an expert at everything he does. We love this in all of the films. Suddenly locks. I think you mean liquid oxygen. Isn't that used for rocket fuel? <laughs> it's like we don't know how he finds out all the stuff, but obviously he's an amazing skier. He has a lot of spare time when he's traveling to read up on these things yeah exactly he gets all those reports um it's a but, great scene but the, the the snowboarding scene is a really cool scene but it's completely ruined by adding in for comic effect so a a beach boys cover it's not even the real beach boys you've got california girls yeah and sung by a tribute band tri- sung by probably john glenn's cousin um <laughs> And it's a bit like that moment in uh, The Man with the Golden Gun where there's the amazing barrel roll. One of the best stunts of its time. Yeah, barrel roll car flip. And they feel the need to insert a slide whistle. Which, yeah, just ruins the dramatic effect. So I think that's a bit of an ill-advised moment there. But then we're, um, well, we see our first... What, what now looks quite an uncomfortable love scene between Roger and a poor unsuspecting um, yes, he just assistant. Has... I mean, what's her job? Her job is not to drive the self-driving submarine. No, it looks like an iceberg. No, she's yeah. She she'll just relays message. She's basically like his icy receptionist. Yeah, an iceberg receptionist. Do you think she knows what's coming when it comes <laughs> down that hatch? And she's like, you may need to sleep with him. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be lots of champagne, caviar, but you know, <laughs> just, just, just make sure you drink a lot of vodka. Commander Bond. Call me James. It's five days to Alaska. Yeah, <laughs> um, and Roger. Let's be honest. Well, it's 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 quite a 
well-known uh, fact that he had a bit of a, a nip and tuck before doing this. Um, he's had a bit of uh, plastic surgery as old Rog. And I've just got down my notes. He looks a bit like a scared ghost. <laughs> His eyes are constantly bulging out. And he's like, he's constantly being surprised. Like, oh, hello. <laughs> so, yes, that's the... I think this is like, in terms of bedding ladies, I think this is like Roger Moore's highest when he's at his oldest. So. Yeah. Well, they're like, yeah, just put them next to a young girl. It'll bring down the age. You know, it's like you put them next to each other, no one will tell the difference. Exactly. But then we cut to, obviously, the, the credits. And we have one of my favourite Bond film themes, A View to a Kill by Duran Duran. Yeah. I am a Duran Duran fan. But, I, yeah, I think out of all the Bond tunes, I mean, I people who know me will know that I listen to them on fairly regular rotation. But I'll quite happily listen to Duran Duran just just on a random playlist. I'll probably listen to it the most frequently of all, all the Bond tunes because well, it's a good pop song. Well, also, I liked how they came back in the 90s and they did. I know they probably did a few other tracks, but that Ordinary World track mm. they came back with was kind of like, look, we can adapt. And then they just went away again. Yeah. It was kind of like, yes, we could keep going, but we're not going to. But yeah, they're, they're a big part. Did they come back? Because there was Aha and Duran Duran, you know. You well, could. I think, yeah, they were sort of, it was the first sort of real time they, they went to a, like a proper sort of young band. I mean, obviously they'd had McCartney and stuff like that. But yeah, I think that was, again, a bit of a ploy to sort of tap into the, the MTV generation, sort of to try and skew a younger audience get who was really hot at the time. Yeah. And obviously that stuck. And they couldn't, they were like, look, a view to a kill doesn't make much sense. We'll get a line in there, but we're not going to call it. We're going to come up with a much better line, which is dance into the fire, play with danger. Yeah. And we're going to have lots of silhouettes. Oh, was, was that a nipple? Oh, people <laughs> skiing in the buff. Yeah. Which was performed by the British ski team, which you see in the credits at the end of the film, which I always spot something for the first time when I watch a Bond film. And it's, mind you, these days it is normally in the credits. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I, was, I thought that was funny. The British ski or snowboarding team were involved in, uh, in those stuff. Well, yeah, got, to keep it, got to keep the British end up uh, but, but of course but yeah so uh, I would probably usually uh, 9 out of 10 times skip the, the Bond titles but you know I'm just quite happy to sit back and in, indulge in some Duran Duran yeah you're too busy throwing shapes um, on, on the train by myself <laughs> <laughs> getting strange looks so, so we then we're at the races where we get oh no there's well the bond the obligatory bond is given his mission in M's office yeah Q sat there with a, a robot dog because again technology and the gadgets robots, the robots are coming um <laughs> Yeah, it, because I was just trying to think, what's going on in there? Like, there's just three old men in a room just staring at a robot on the floor, and like, so, so what does it do? Well, it goes back and forth, and, and but they stuff. have got the padded doors. They've got the old offices. They've got that. Mm. They have kept that. Yeah, that look and feel which they've gone back to in recent years with the with the Daniel yes, Craig ones. Yes, definitely. Um, so we're then sort of given the mission of uh, Bond is put on the scent of leading French industrialists Max Zorin, who M describes as having no accent. Was he like speaks German or oh, seventeen languages and has no, no accent. accent? Get him away from her. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, leading French industrialists um, <laughs> spent a bit of time in Joyzy. <laughs> Joyzy. So, yeah, you've got... Um, what I would like to say, just before we move on, that scene in M's office, the fact that Roger Moore's so old, it actually, because you just say it looks like three old men looking around a robot. Make that four. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> when Roger walks in, it kind of looks a bit more believable because in the beginning, you know, when Bond was so young, it was a like, young buck, and these old men were ordering him about. Now it kind of looks like an old gentleman's club. It's one of the ah, team. Bond, <laughs> we're sending you out to Paris. Mm. <laughs> but let's all go to the races first. Yeah. Yeah, I was a little bit perplexed why a Q and Money Penny are at the races anyway, but I suppose they're allowed Cover. out. <laughs> yeah, they're allowed out every once in a while. But uh, Sir Jeffrey Tibbet, which is, I think, a great name for a cat or a dog. Yeah, so, so, <laughs> is it Sir Jeffrey or Sir Godfrey? Is it Sir, no, it's Sir Godfrey. Sir, Sir Godfrey, Godfrey t- t- Tibbet. Uh, yes, the, the legendary uh, Patrick McNee yeah. uh, from the Avengers. So, uh, again, there's, there's sort of plenty of actors that have been in the Avengers, not the Marvel Avengers, uh, for, for you young ones. No, the, the 1960s spy series. So, um, obviously, Diana Rigg, Joanna Lumley, Honor Blackman. All, so, there was all sort of ties a lot. There's a lot of crossover with Avengers actors, and I think Patrick McNee was a um, a close friend of Rogers. So um, look and the type. I could see those two together. I mean, they look. But when they're both wearing their shell suits, doing their sleuthing together, they look like such an amazing. Guy. We'll get to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. But yeah, you could. I think those scenes between the two of them, they're they're a lot of fun. They're one of the strengths of the films. They've obviously got a good natural chemistry. Yeah. But first, we we have to make an, another detail. We've been to the races, but. Charlie, it's an area we're familiar with. Let's go to Paris. And as I said, Paris has not changed one iota. Sure, the cars may have changed. The fashions are just as risque and avant-garde. But Eiffel Tower is still there. That that restaurant that doesn't exist is mm. still there. Um, and that's where we get to meet the amazingly named Achille Aubergine. I can't <laughs> believe we've never picked up on that. Is it just because I live in France now and I spot these things? But like, well, you yeah. must you must have loads of people that you know, like you know, your neighbour Monsieur got, Potato. I've got Peter Pomplemousse. Yeah, Pomplemousse, <laughs> yes, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Terry Canard. Yeah, and then yeah, so I mean Achille Aubergine, and you see these serious M M and Q saying, "What does Aubergine think?" <laughs> <laughs> He's talking about a real aubergine. And yeah. it doesn't really help that it is so badly overdubbed. Oh, like, and the ADR. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I had, I watched it on DVD and I had the, you know, the obligatory trailer of all the Bond films remastered, digitally decoded yeah. for cutting edge sound. It's like, could you not at least try and sort out his voice a bit? But the key to this mystery is there. And I, Achille Aubergine, intend to find it. <laughs> yeah, but... Achille Aubergine is on the case. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, his whole thing is, are you like, hang on, that guy doing the voiceover died or did that actor die? <laughs> died mid-recording session. <laughs> Which one of them died? And that is one lethal fishing rod, isn't it? Well, it, it takes out poor Roger Moore. Yeah, I mean, he's just trying to get up the stairs and she throws a fishing rod at him. And he's, I, I don't think this is about his age. It's like, so yeah, Roger, she throws the fishing rod at you. You struggle with it for a few seconds so she can gain, you know, she can run away from you. So, so I... I struggle with the fishing rod okay <laughs> it's rubbed around my legs okay not very tightly i hope yeah don't want to cut off the circulation but that's a great scene great stunt great uh, stunt yeah base jumping off the Eiffel tower which you can clearly see somebody did or they managed yeah. to get a guy whether i don't know they got clearance to do it once yeah um, he was just told to avoid all of the um, Asian couples who are getting married <laughs> underneath <laughs> the, the Eiffel Tower. Well, you can actually see they've actually built out a platform for her to jump off. Yeah. Then there's um, he gets down to street level to chase after. Uh, <laughs> so many stereotypes. And you've got what? I mean, I don't the French taxi driver sit in their car with, uh, I think, a sandwich and a pint of wine? <laughs> oh, 
Maca! Maca! <laughs> That's the problem. I mean, Uber's changed all that. But, you know, it's, it's not as relaxed as it's it used to be. It's not as relaxed as it used to be. A guy, a guy having a sort of like a cup of onion soup as he waits with a croissant. And there's so many stereotypes. But it, it's great. It, it, is, it is a good scene. He's driving in half well, a car. Well, who's driving the car? So. <laughs> well, George, it's Roger Moore. It's clearly he gets into the it's, car. It's a man in a, in a wig with the same hair colour as Roger Moore. That's close enough. <laughs> there are so many stuntmen in this film. Oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, that sounds a little bit ridiculous with the, the half car driving around. Roger jumps onto a boat, ruins someone's wedding, um, but then gives it some sort of glib... Congratulations. Oh, yeah, because I'm, I'm just trying to think, when when's the bit with... Uh, I don't know, we're, we're kind of... Because what comes next after there's that scene in Paris... Mm. He goes. It's, it's that he obviously goes drives up the road. I've been to this. Uh, he goes. He goes to the chateau. Oh, yes. To... So we're going up to the bit with the chateau. I've been to this chateau, and what's it's a beautiful place at Chantilly. There's the the horse stables. Looks like a mansion. It is. It looks like a chateau. It and is it's, actually the horse stable. That is actually the horse stable, and it's crazy. I thought it was just like a bit of a pun. Like, oh yeah, this guy's got so much money. Look at the horse stables. No, but there's like there is. There's the maids. They they have been. Um, it is accurate in that there's the maids' quarters. Looks like an amazing house. Mm. Then there's the horse stables, which is. It looks like a chateau and then there's also the chateau and if you go there um all around it the scenes there's like there's like pictures of roger moore like oh, right. uh, and there's loads of people posing bond style but it's a beautiful garden um, just just walking around this the estate in the style of james bond yeah exactly <laughs> in a white tux i just want to say you know when he puts those glasses on you when mean he's sleuthing, massive aviators he's really he's showing his age because he's really struggling <laughs> when he has to do the fiddly bit where to change the lenses you can see his fingers wrapping around just look cool pra just, just, practice loads just look cool so yeah we, we get to meet properly mad meet. industrialist max zorin max zorin a french industrialist we get to meet uh, his evil nazi granddad <laughs> <laughs> complete with monocle. Yeah, jawohl, I work on the horses. <laughs> Who's not, again, not a stereotype. Not a stereotype. Not a stereotype. Yeah, there's there's the banter between Tibbet and Bond where they, they do that cl very clever sleuthing of having the conversation, they find the bug, and then they pull out the tape recorder that has this recorded conversation. So we need to keep having that conversation. How long does that conversation go on for? Yeah. And there's even a point later on where he's like, it's all right, my, my tape of me snoring is, is playing. It's like, oh, it's going to run out soon. It's like, the, Roger... The tape, the tape <laughs> ran out 10 minutes ago. <laughs> so like, Roger, we just need you in the recording... Oh, sorry, Bond, we need you in the recording booth. Um, just need to do some snoring. Oh, I couldn't do that for how long? Oh. Four hours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you get some, some great bit of banter with those guys. As you say, that brilliant bit of sleuthing where Rog is in his velour tracksuit. Um, Both of them are. Both him and Sir Godfrey. Sir Godfrey. Are, are in their uh, in their beautiful, I mean, how do, beautiful shell suits. But it's actually quite cool. They went for, like, dark colours. They didn't go, you know... Well, I, I've, I've put it down in, uh, in my notes. Looks like some OAP who has won the lottery. You know? So <laughs> they're used to wearing a tracksuit. They still want to wear a tracksuit. But, but they want to spend some one. money on a good tracksuit. And that's yeah. the kind of vibe that Roger's giving off. I just don't think either of them look threatening. You know, it's like if a security guard found them, it's like, how did you get out of your room? Are you lost? <laughs> yeah, like, I, I don't oh, think they try and take him out. They just say, oh, poor old man. You, you guys get lost. Yeah, there's security. I found two old men wandering the estate. Um, we should really ring. Is it with the nearest home? I yeah. Think they've got loose. They've escaped. They don't look to be an opposing threat, but they are doing some sleuthing. They're opening up things. As I mentioned before, everything has a microchip. Everything has Open a microchip. that. Open, press that button. Okay. Oh, there's something else. There's Lots something. switches. And, yeah. And, 
And this this film is full of the Bond sound effects. Yes. Today that would be like a folder just full of MP3 files, but back then it must have been, I think, a suitcase full of tapes. What have we got in the audio library? I need a pinging noise. I've got flashing and beeping light one. (laughs) I've got radar sweep two. And then I've got microchip one through seven. (laughs) Beep, 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 beep. I must congratulate you, Mrs. Zarin. Your stables are magnificent. Built in the 16th century by a duke who believed he'd be reincarnated as a horse. So the French industrialist uh, Max Zorin is obviously on the case. So they have their tete-a-tete across the table where he's using the latest technology to scan Roger Moore on an Amstrad yeah. and work out he's 007. <laughs> One of my favourite walkerisms where they're having a bit of back and forth about riding. And he goes, do you like to ride? And he goes, I'm happiest when I'm in the saddle. <laughs> um, and you've got that great scene of, you know, again, like the Goldfinger thing instead of them playing golf, they're horse racing against each other. It's very competitive. More microchips controlling the yeah. horse jumps and the horse boxes. Microchips in the injector. In the horse. And in the horse. <laughs> Mi- microchips in the horse. But no Wi-Fi or Bluetooth, just microchips. Just, I press a button. Just, just microchips. Yeah. Don't we, uh, aren't we introduced to the lovely Stacy? The lovely Stacy Sutton, who is, I think, 40 years Roger's well close to 40 years Roger's junior I think Roger got a bit miffed when he found out that he was the same age as the actress's uh, mother yeah and yeah I think it's safe to say they have no chemistry but it kind of works in those earlier scenes because you've got Roger's obviously seen a lucky duck and he go you know pops down with his in his white tux and a bottle of champagne and she's clearly not interested and and Chris, Christopher Walken can see that. Get him away from her. This <laughs> is so he goes, oh, get him away from her. <laughs> and Mayday does, you know, promptly uh, interject. Um, Not a lot of chemistry there either. I, well, I, I'm still terrified of Grace Jones. I think everyone is a little bit. And that scene where, where Roger's waiting in bed for her. It's he's just, looking really old. He's looking scene. really old. And rapey, a little bit. She, she's looking a bit scared. He's looking terrified. <laughs> There's that bit where she rolls on top of him and I'm, I genuinely de- did see fear in his eyes I, I mean his eyes are always popping out bad, <laughs> bad facelift but genuine fear he's like this woman might hurt me I, I was, C- C- Cubby, I'm not comfortable with this. I, I, you do feel a bit fearful for him at that stage. She looks really muscular, and you're worried, you know, he could suffocate or something. Break or, a hip. Or a heart attack, maybe. <laughs> he has too much fun. <laughs> I, I'm just going to pop a Viagra. Uh, <laughs> it's, in its, it's in its research phase, Bond. <laughs> Careful with that tablet. No. <laughs> I think that's the last of the sort of the the French scenes. Um, Do we get introduced to um, Turd Ferguson? I mean, sorry, that won't, that won't mean a lot to a lot of people, but how would you describe that guy? Oh, the, the oil tycoon. I want Burt Reynolds, but I don't want to pay Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds wants 30 million. Okay, can you get me somebody who looks like Burt I Burt want Reynolds. a Texan type guy, mustache, all round American oil industrialist. Okay. We, we've, we've got a guy, yeah. So we've got um, budget Burt Reynolds. 
who has yet turned up, will to be introduced later in the plot. Yeah. And then, yeah, do they go straight to San Francisco from there? There's a bit of hopping around. Yeah, because yeah, it then moves and he's got to meet his contact. And there's the thing with, where, where does the Russian girl come into this? So, yeah, so they go over to, he starts investigating in San Francisco. He meets the Asian agents because they said they want to mix it up. Apparently it was going to be Felix Leiter, but they, because they're filming in t- Chinatown, they thought it should be an Asian contact. But obviously, he needed massive ADR work as well. And he need, somebody needed to be the sacrificial lamb. Yeah. Then Roger's on a mission, and surprisingly, it looks like it's him in the wetsuit. Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> he's, he's, come, he's obviously done his bit of scuba gear stuff in the background. I just love the way how when he meets, because this, this agent, she was supposed to be... Paula Inonova, or whatever she's called, was... Yeah, originally, and I think this would have been great if they pulled it off, was originally supposed to be... The gorgeous and delightful Barbara Back. Agent Triple X. From The Spy Who Loved Me, which would have been a really nice time, because this would have only been a few films or one... one a, mm, well, it's, it would yeah, have been enough, a long it, enough gap. It, I think it would have been a nice sort of bookend to, to have a re, you know returning character, and it's something that the Bond films haven't done that much. I mean, to make it even more confusing, Bond films would rather have... A returning actor but in a different role yeah <laughs> done that more than a, a few times it's a shame that barbara back didn't want to return so we get some other bit of james <laughs> paula wet t-shirt <laughs> <laughs> yes and so yeah roger's quickly bedding her as well and the bubbles are tickling her we were tchaikovsky ver- we were very confused we we spent a long time thinking that women had something called a tchaikovsky <laughs> dad what's a tchaikovsky <laughs> And that, that's not too uncomfortable. They, they establish they've got some history, and you just think, well, that makes sense. Maybe she was really young yeah. when they got together. She seems up for it. Yeah. Know, she doesn't seem terrified like all the other women. And we get on to, yeah, quickly on to Operation Main Strike, <laughs> <laughs> which is something to do with. with it's Michael actually Jibs. really complicated because he tries to do what Lex Luthor does in Superman, which is basically flood parts of California. But, yeah. But he does it in a really... It's, it's pretty complicated. It's pumping in loads of water, triggering an earthquake, and then that d- will... And then they'll, both plates will move and it'll be a double earthquake. But it'll only take out Silicon Valley. Yeah. Which apparently is a terrible plan because there's no actual microchips made in Silicon Valley. It's just all the like... They're the pro- assembled. They're oh. assembled in, in, in Silicon Valley. But uh, they're all made in, uh, at the time, I think they're all China made in China Japan. and Japan. So yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a flaw there, Max. But you'll believe anything of Max Soren because, I mean, he's got a blimp. Well, that's it again. <laughs> current trends. What's hot in the 80s? What about a bad guy with a blimp? I mean, they're pretty threatening, right? Yeah. It's Are quite you- a small blimp. Or, or in some scenes, it's bigger than... Other scenes, going, I, think George, I think he's got two different blimps, but yeah. then again, that just could be depending on what stock footage they have available. Just that blimp when he when the blimp's coming down to catch Stacy, it just looks Out tiny. Of, it looks and it comes really silently behind her, and well, he's like, and you see Roger struggling over the uneven ground. Stacy, there's <laughs> doesn't actually manage to get out. There's an air. Can you not hear the airship behind you? Yeah, that airship that's slowly creeping behind you. But yeah, we've 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 skipped ahead because there's a bit with um, well, there's a class again that sort of 
ripoff of, of Goldfinger, where he's got all the heads of you know the various businesses round a table. He's had somebody, some architect firm, spend lots of money and time on a map that comes out of nowhere. Well, that's amazing. We need to I, find a guy who makes those. Well, yeah, I, w- I want to see like a, a spin-off side episode of the guy. Like, what, what do you want? A map of what? <laughs> um, and then you want it to be full of water. Okay. <laughs> You've got the you know the very good death trap of the guy who's like, dropped out the airship. I want no part of it, thank you. As you wish. Hmm. The rest of our discussion must cross be confidential. Would you wait outside? If you'd like me to, yes. Excuse me. Thank you. Mayday. I provide you with a drink. Yeah. It's like, you're free to leave, but would you mind stepping outside? But we've got to get back to the whole, the struggle at Stacy's house where Roger's really struggling or with Stuntman struggling. We don't know who is who. There's a lot of struggling. And then Roger makes a quiche. Roger makes a quiche because he's a real man. And doesn't sleep with her because he th- at that moment he, he thinks he, she's too young. He, he, has, he has a bit of a granddad nap in the chair. <laughs> and then he gets horribly awoken by the earthquake. Oh, where am I, Stacy? <laughs> Where are my pills? <laughs> but then they're at City Hall. Yeah, what a scene. And that guy, I recognise him from something else, the guy who's the how. I think the, he was in Murder One or something. Yeah. Like, he was in like a crime lawyer show in he's the got, 80s or 90s. Yeah, he's, he delivers his lines very well. But then I just love the way Zorin turns up out of nowhere. Because, I mean, the timing is brilliant. Stacey's used her key to get in there. And, you know, they're, they're rifling through and they find all the things. And then in he comes. It's like, alive, after all. It's, it's so... But it's all right. I've got another elaborate death trap planned. Yeah. <laughs> and we have that great line of... But that means I would have to be dead. Dead. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's been talked about before, but I mean, that is actually, is that Roger on the on the ladder as he's walking down the ladder? Is it? Mm. We're not sure. He is at the end of the ladder. It is at the very end of the ladder. I mean, it wasn't insured to climb down a ladder. But, but apparently it's uh, Roger Moore was the only person on set at that time that could drive a fire truck. So he's actually driving a lot of the scenes of the fire truck, not the part where he's on the back. Yeah. But he did actually do some driving. But what we do have to mention, obviously, we've been known to delve into um, a little bit of Alan Partridge from time to time. And watching it this time, there's obviously there's a lot of if you've watched any Alan Partridge, he does like his leather jacket. And there's that scene where he reveals to both Stacy and the fire chief that he's not actually called James Stock. He's actually... Or Sinjin Smythe. He starts off as Sinjin Smythe and then goes, no, Stacey, I'm actually called James Stock. And then to both of them, he like does this really slow turn around and it's so partridge. He turns around and goes, actually, the name's Bart. And he's got his hands in his pockets. He's pocket. got his hands in his pockets and it's so partridge. <laughs> but it's just the way that he moves. I don't know if it's... He's got his collars up and it's just like, oh my God. It's like Steve Coogan has just, bop, has just dropped in. It's, it's, it's brilliant. Or one's echoing the other. I mean, obviously, partridge echoes a lot of uh, Roger Moore Bond. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Um, I got that. That whole scene is just a bit like trying to be Blues Brothers light. You've got like cop cars really like crashing chaotically. We're talking over the really place. light, George. There's like two cop cars oh, chasing like, it's, them until they get to the bridge. And, and then there's just like, then there's the chief who's like, oh my god, <laughs> and it's just like it's just a little bit ridiculous. You've got and then at one point Rogers steering the fire truck from the box on the back that controls the water or something it's very confusing yeah it's swinging around it's clearly roger on back projection again yeah i mean i'm not sure what that scene does for the movie it's a bit of a weak action scene in 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 sort of the the main cut of everything 
especially since they could have actually just walked away from the ladder at the end so they had to add this whole elaborate thing of being chased down and we haven't really talked about the other henchmen i mean obviously there's jenny flex and the non-named uh, yeah other. they're sort of like the, the girls that are just sweeping up the dead bodies and carrying around petrol cans yeah and they're totally fine with it and then there's also scar What's he called? I think he's called Scar something. The guy, the French guy. Oh, the, the, the head of security. Head of security. He's actually called. I can't. I didn't hear the name. I should. Sorry. I should. Should know this. But check the credits. His his actual character name. You know, he's got the big scar on his face. His is name it? is actually something like Mr. Scar. Scaramouche. Scar. <laughs> no, it's something like Scar. Scarman or Scarface. Not no. Scarface. That would be too close. But yeah. So we've got this very. And it is an elaborate plan. So you get to the mine and you see that it's they're they're flood. They're going to flood the mines, but they're also filling up the mines with explosives so the explosives are going to trigger an earthquake and none of the, the miners seem sort of like you know a little bit troubled by the idea that why are we bringing in all these explosives yeah and and then there's also that thing where there's they all have to die i mean obviously we get to see i suppose that's a demonstration of the of how much of a, a psychopath, psychopath unhinged yeah. psychopath yeah careful stacy is a psychopath um yeah it, you get to see that how far he will go and you also you know Turd Ferguson sorry Burt Reynolds budget Burt Reynolds budget Burt Reynolds poor man Burt Reynolds gets a few lines he's like these men they trust you they work for you and he's like ha, I don't care um, and, and Walken is I mean you know we, we take the piss out of his accent but he's so good in this and like that sort of chilling unhinged you just like yeah he'll have a little bit of a giggle before he's mowing down people and terrifying that sort of he's very happy there's there is one bit where that when they're at the estate you know when the, the get him away from her bit where he's like i think they both have a laugh together and and it's sort of like maniacal laugh and, and, <laughs> and, and, and like grace jones is like <laughs> um, but apart from that he's a very good w- villain and i think i wouldn't say he's underused but it would have been Interesting to see him in a, well, against Roger in his prime or against Dalton. Yeah. It would have been, you know. But great to have him in a Bond film. You've also, we haven't really talked about it much, but the love triangle that's going on between Mayday, Max Zorin, and Max Zorin's Nazi granddad. <laughs> Evil Nazi granddad. De- well, there's just, there's a lot of love between the two. Because you know? he's kind of like the evil Nazi granddad with the monocle is kind of like his surrogate father. He's done loads of tests and pumped him full of drugs really early on. So he's looked after him. Yeah, he's taking really good care of him. I, I mean, I saw some synergy or some harking back with that wonderful Bond film that no one wants to forget, Die Another Day. Yeah. That, that whole thing about like a super soldier who was killed but actually comes back. So there was, there was a few things borrowed from that. And also the snowboarding scene might have inspired that terrible opening scene but enough mm. about die another day which just needs to die uh, yes today <laughs> i think the evil nazi granddad if you need anyone in a stressful situation you just need a doddering old man and a safe full of dynamite <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we get to the bit obviously uh well, you've, got, you've got the bit in the mine where there's sort of the flooding the the gunning down mayday and bond work together to survive to survive together which is yeah i don't know just seems a little bit She's like the Terminator hunting him down through the tunnels and then she's like, Zoran screwed me over. I'm with you more. But I think it's also because when they when they start flooding those tunnels, Roger really looks like he's in peril again because he's keeping his head above water. And once again, you kind of fear for him a little bit. You're like, is Roger going to be all right? I mean, now, back then when we watched it, this went over our heads. Yeah. It's now when you watch it, it's like, I'm thinking about insurance. I'm wondering, did he have people underneath making sure he didn't drown? But yeah, so they, they, they managed to get out. They do, obviously, the whole thing with the timer made 
Day sacrifices herself. The, so the very subtle and very quiet airship. Yeah, and then we're on the blimp. Which blimp? I don't know. Is it the really small one? Is it the really big one? It's but, one you can fit in a, in a very small office. But George, tell us about, obviously, because Bond manages to grab a rope line, and this this caused some actual, in real life, when this was being filmed, this caused a bit of a ruckus, didn't they? Yeah, so it was actually filmed at the, you know, Bond films have a history of doing a lot of stuff at Pinewood where it's filmed, so in, in South London, and replicating very tropical destinations. So we were watching Casino Royale the other night, and there's that bit that's supposed to be Sierra Leone, and that is just the, the back lot at Pinewood. For A View to a Kill, the, the mine uh, sequences were filmed at Amberley Chalk Pits Museum in Sussex. And apparently when the airship was flown with a, a dummy hanging underneath, obviously it was not a real Roger Moore, the Sussex Police Board had loads of people calling in saying there was a man in trouble hanging off a blimp. A really small blimp. <laughs> very, very small man, very small blimp. Yeah. So yes, you've got Sussex doubling for San Fran. And you've got Bond, I mean, I think it was a bit reckless of Max Zorin. You've got Bond dangling from a rope of your airship. Well, let's take him out using the bridge, you know? Why don't you just cut the rope? <laughs> I was thinking that as well. well or shoot just, him. Why don't you just shoot him in the face? <laughs> <laughs> but um, it is. it does get to that point because obviously we're now, we're at the Golden Gate Bridge and they have this... Well, you can't really say it's Christopher Walken squaring off against Roger Moore because it's not in terms of the stuntmen. I think there is, they look at each other. Well, again, I think in, in Sussex, they built sort of a replica section of, of the Golden Gate Bridge because obviously they couldn't really film on the Golden Gate Bridge or there's only so much they were allowed to do. Yeah. It is, again, it's a thrilling scene if you don't pay too much attention to the stuntman and, and the back projection. Because <laughs> it's just that one scene where you see the view from the airship and you're looking down one of the girders of the bridge and you're like, who are these two guys? <laughs> Is these two guys having a fight and it's supposed to be Roger Moore and Christopher Walken. And it's like the most, they're both massive guys having a fight. <laughs> I think it's probably because they've got safe, you know, sec- you know, safety harnesses attached to them. But it's all right because what they've cleverly done in the ADR, in the, in the overdubbing, you've just got a few Roger Moore, oof, uh, oof. Um, so, yeah. It's the, oh, well, that's obviously Roger Moore. It sounds like Roger Moore. But fair play to them, because we didn't lose them as a result, because didn't this happen when they were approaching somebody else for the role of uh, Max Soren about stuntmen? Yes. I suppose that gives us time to jump into Coulda, Woulda, Shoulda. In early publicity, David Bowie was announced to play the role of Zorin, and it, the script was written with him in mind. He later decided to turn down the role and do Labyrinth instead because, thank God. And baby said, Yeah, apparently he said, I didn't want to spend five months watching my stunt double fall off the cliffs. Which he has a point, but. So then, after. Bowie dropped out, the role was offered to Geordie Luke legend Sting. <laughs> but I think Sting was too busy uh, championing... Tan- so, tantric sets. Ta- yeah. Tantric sets. It was then Chris Chris Walken, can you just dye your hair a bit Bowie sting <laughs> Yeah, that'll do. Also, um, it's not really a coulda, woulda, shoulda, but more of a, a blink and you'll miss him. It's the first on-screen appearance for Dolph Lundgren. Yeah. Um, who is playing a KGB agent for all of about two or three seconds. That KGB gets, soldier. When they the KGB go face off against Zorinat 
at the race stands. And Dolph Lundgren was cast because he was uh, currently dating, at the time, dating Grace Jones. Um, and they needed somebody like an extra on set and he happened to be on set so it was like you put on the suit wear a gun yeah because who's the girl in red sonia because you that's seen... bridget nielsen see he really did like mannish muscular women didn't well, he because uh, he was with her wasn't uh well she got around she was with arnie and sly as well wow yeah she was married to sloan but she also had an affair with arnie i think i read that in his book maybe that's total, why they... total recall oh did you mention that yeah yeah <laughs> did i also mention i've uh, i wrote my word is my bond. Yes, he did. And um, in the autobiography, Roger reveals that in the sex scene with Grace Jones, who he doesn't have a good thing to say about, she thought it would be funny to bring a black dildo into the bedroom. Is uh, that why he looks so petrified? I did not find it amusing. <laughs> Do you reckon it was a strap-on? <laughs> oh, so, like, when she straddles him, it's just like... Well, that's, ah! pro that's probably why he looks so terrified. He is in genuine peril. Mm. He is in... <laughs> In genuine peril. So yeah, we're pretty much at the end. There's the again sort of one of those obligatory scenes where M yeah. and Q are perving on Bond, getting it on with the lady. But also the MI5 and the KGB are just enjoying brandies. They're working together. The Cold War's over it's by all, this stage. It's, all, it's almost over. Yeah, Russia's not a threat anymore. Yeah, I've got down as the last line where Roger is with Stacy in the shower, and I think the last line is, <laughs> "Ooh, <laughs> surprise!" <laughs> Ooh. But yeah, I mean, what I'd like to say in terms of closing about this is haters are going to hate this, but this walks and talks like a proper Bond film. Um, it's, as we've talked about, it's got all of the sound effects. It's got the sort of music you would expect. It's got a great bad guy who's hamming it up to 11, which for me, it has to be done. Like, as we said, George and I watched just shows how much Bond fans we are. Just because we had a bit of free time, we watched Casino Royale again. And, you know, Le Chiffre is a... I love that actor, Mads Mikkelsen. He's mm -hmm. a great actor, and it's one of his best roles. And he's a great bad guy, but he's also quite high up in terms of hamminess. It's just done very well. It's the right amount of hamminess. I think you do need to have a little bit of theatricality being a Bond villain. You do and need you're to meant be to be a, a megalomaniac who's trying to take over the world, so you have to be nuts. Exactly. So, yeah, there's a lot of... Uh, so, just to finish, I, I understand why people dislike this film, but I'm like... I look at it in the same way as, as Roger would have said, yes, I was far too old. And he, he didn't kind of enjoy it. You can see him and it was, you know, they were coming to mm. an end, you know. So it's not it's not like he went out in a bad film. Well, Do you think it would have been better for him to finish... I think it would. Be, I think it would have been better if he'd finished on Fiora's only. So that would have been interesting because we would have had Timothy Dalton. No, well, or maybe no, Brosnan. No. We might have had Brosnan. Uh, well, yeah, they were both in the frame at some point, but very uh, someone who was very close to getting the role for Octopussy. They were looking at because Roger was umming and ahhing about getting out after Fiora's Eyes Only, and for Octopussy there was James Brolin, who is Josh sure. Brolin's dad, yeah. who was a you know, very credible actor, even though he was actually an American, and they were so impressed at his sort of his accent and this you can the screen tests online on you know I can put it on the blog of him uh, doing a screen test with Maud Adams from from Octopussy. Lovely and Moonraker. Uh, 
No, no. Um, which one? Which other one? Golden Gun. Sorry, I get confused. Uh, he went as far as actually buying a house in London, and then Roger was like, no, "Actually, Cubby, why not? Let's, let's, let's do one more together. Just one more." Um, but well, also, Roger, you do look well after that work. <laughs> you do look a lot um, younger. But also, Sam Neill uh, was uh, screen tested as well. Really, that would yeah. have been interesting. Again, yeah. There's there's a very brief clip online, um, but I would say you know I've, I've been a bit harsh with Rog and his you know looking a bit like a scared skeleton we do um, love him we do love him but actually he's uh, at his fittest uh, in out of uh, the sort of in Fiorizonian octopus he's looking a little bit tubby mm. but in this one you can actually see he's lost a bit of weight he's not like out of shape no. he's just looking really old yeah which you can't really criticize him for because I guess you know this film I've, in terms of performance it did it did as well as many other Bond films so yeah it was, it was I think it was you know despite some yeah, middling reviews it was a success and the reason why we're doing it is as we've said we hope you know you've eaten you've indulged uh, over for Christmas and you're going to be you know you're going to have New Year's resolutions this was exactly the type of film that you'd expect to watch over a bank holiday and that is just you know that's what we're, we're planning to do obviously we'll do our monthly episode but we are going to be interspersing um, over the next year with some well just bank holiday specials so you can expect to see the type of films that you would typically see on te uh, terrestrial television mm. on a bank holiday. So yeah, we've got some, some interesting films scheduled for uh, 2018. And I don't think we're, I think we're going to keep a sort of uh, a tight lid on that for the time being. But yeah, we've got some, some big films. Real gigs. Real gigs. You've got some real gigs coming up. Real gigs. I think we're, we're sort of, we're hopping around a bit from, from genres and decades to give you a bit of variety. As, as Charlie says, I think with the, the, when the opportunity for a bank holiday comes up, we'll, uh, we'll try and keep it in good old British bank holiday fashion. Exactly. And it will allow us to tackle some of the franchises, uh, make them a bit longer that we might not be able to tackle in a typical... Yeah, episode. I mean, obviously, I think we'd like to talk about Bond more often, but we don't want to alienate our audience. That Not everyone's a fan of Bond films. I, I understand that, but uh, you're wrong. <laughs> I think pretty much uh, round up though we we do have time to um, we talked about the you know the amazing Duran Duran and I think this is sort of time we should retitle this music section Brian Adams top pop facts alright are these uh, so did, uh, did anybody come close to Brian well, Adams well uh, Duran Duran is the only James Bond song to reach the number one in the US wow and again it only got to number two in in the uk so what's all that about well i don't think brian adams would be you know threatened by those sort of no those numbers i don't think anyone's gonna ever challenge brian adams when it comes to movie themes yeah we've talked about the product placement in this film haven't we well we've talked you know I, listen I mean, to buy sony buy smoke sony. marlboro <laughs> uh and drinks uh Stolichner vodka, I think. Yeah, some, some bottle of Stolly. Not too much. Not too much. There's not not a huge amount, um, but yeah, a lot of Sony types. They couldn't. Yeah, well, they had to pay for those stuntmen. Uh, but then you've also got uh, Cubby Broccoli's um, Royals Royce is featured. So it's actually the the producer's car is used as the the car that Godfrey Tibbet drives, yeah. and that's the car that's um, linked to Mark O'Connell's book uh, Catching Bullets. Cubby was quite happy to put his uh, his. Rolls Royce in the film. Obviously, it's a, a replica that gets pushed into the lake when Roger <laughs> survives on 
having air out the tires, which once again I was really worried about them in that scene. Okay, so I think uh, Retro Ramble will return. Will return.、Um, we will be back, and we'll be back in the new year. We hope you've had a、um, fantastic holiday, whatever you've been up to. Enjoyed some time off, eaten、mm. too much, and that you're listening to this podcast just to get away from some of your relatives for an hour. So I think for January we are going to return with Conair. Well, you know, we did face. We done face off. That went down really well. We love Nicolas Cage. It's you know. I think we should start eighteen, twenty eighteen, as we mean to go on. We foolishly, you know, we we ran out of films to do it in twenty seventeen because it was、uh, actually twenty years old.、Uh, so yeah, nineteen ninety seven. We realised that you know Nicolas Cage should be taken in small doses. Yeah,、um, there needs but, to be a break of but, at least eleven、uh, months before we do another Nicolas Cage film.、Um, but yeah, start the the new year with a bang. Yeah, so you got that to look forward to. We will return with Conor. So,、um, what are you going to do now, George?、Uh, well, I'm just going to slip into something more comfortable and then get in my iceberg submarine. I'm just trying to find kitchen appliances that I can use microchips for. <laughs> But we hope you've enjoyed that.、Um, I've been Charlie McGee. I've been George McGee. And we'll see you next time. Oh, James. <laughs> 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 <laughs>